Hi everyone, it's Aliza Licht here, your host, and I'm so thrilled to share that my new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception, is out now. I hope you'll pick up a copy because personal branding is for everyone. It's for the new graduate starting out, the middle manager looking to level up, the executive who wants to be a thought leader, the entrepreneur starting from scratch. It's for anyone who wants to pivot or transition into something new. Because having a strong personal brand means that your name gets dropped in rooms you're not in and that you're thought of for opportunities that other people haven't even heard of yet. So pick up a copy and I can't wait to hear what you think. Hi, this is Aliza Licht, and this is Leave Your Mark, the podcast, where I brew fresh career advice with some of my most inspiring and successful friends. It's professional advice that you can action immediately, whether you're just starting out in your career or well on your way. With a massive to-do list and a large cup of coffee, I promise that you can get it all done and still have time to post about it. Natasha Miller is an award-winning Wall Street Journal bestselling author. She sits at the helm of entire productions and poignant press, but she isn't your average CEO. She is a multi-hyphenate entrepreneur who began her career in entertainment as a celebrated jazz artist with seven records released on her own label, Poignant Records. Having founded Entire Productions in 2000 when she was still performing, this single mom and Des Moines, Iowa native single-handedly built a profitable multi-million dollar company. But Natasha, you are also the author of Relentless and you grew up homeless. I am so excited to have you on because where you've come from and what you've been able to do, I mean, it's mind-blowing. So can you take us back a little bit? Because we need to hear a little bit of the origin story. Yes, it is mind boggling. And I would say, you know, I wasn't homeless my entire life. It was almost a worse case story than that. Being homeless, you know, has incredible challenges. But the reason why I became homeless, you know, is just, it's heartbreaking. And it's still heartbreaking for me to think about it. I was raised in the mid eighties, mid seventies, mid eighties in the middle of the country where mental health wasn't talked about. It wasn't supported. It wasn't identified. And I was in a really abusive home every day of my life. I was told by the one person that's supposed to love and cherish you. You know, she said, I hate you and I'd rather kill you than have to look at you. I don't care if I go to jail. Oh my God, Natasha, I'm so sorry. I mean, it's really a miracle. I'm sitting here with a smile, a genuine smile. (laughs) How old were you? My entire life until I was 16. And at that point on Christmas day, my mother threatened to kill me. But this time I could tell the fervor and the look in her eyes. And she's holding a butcher knife and she's chasing me around the house. So for the first time in my life, I ended up calling 911. If you call 911 today and you say that your mother's trying to kill you and she's got a knife in her hand, something's going to happen. But back then, nothing happened because I wasn't spurting blood. I didn't have a visible broken bone. And the police handed my dad a card and said, if you don't feel she's safe here, you can take her to this homeless shelter. And I was dropped off by my father 
at this homeless shelter and never got to come home. Oh my God. Okay. (laughs) It's a lot. Yeah. I don't even know how to respond because so obviously your mother was extremely sick. Correct. Clearly. Yes. And your father just sort of was complicit. Yes. And didn't know what to do. And that is not an excuse. We have healed a lot of that. When I wrote the book, I asked him, we're, we're very close. And I said to him, what happened? How did you let this happen? You are not the man today that would have ever allowed that to happen. And he answered all of the hard questions. I mean, the fact that you are close with him today, like, I don't even know how that even came back together. But yeah. did you have siblings? Two brothers, younger brothers. And they all saw this happen. And in fact, my younger brother drove with my dad and me to the homeless shelter. I don't know why they brought him. And I showed up with a black hefty bag full of things that I just threw in. And today, when I work with homeless shelters, they say the people running those shelters say the saddest isn't when someone comes with a bag or a backpack. It's when they come with like a garbage bag full of things. And I remember looking back at my brother as I walked up the stairs and just looked at his face. It was just the disbelief and sorrow and fear. And, you know, I thought I was the more abused person, but they had to suffer through watching all of that and not having the ability to do anything. They were four and eight years younger than me. The saddest thing is not the garbage bag. The saddest thing is being brought to a homeless shelter by a parent. He was discarded. Yeah. It's unfathomable. So how did you even pull yourself out of this? Well, it's interesting. Okay, first of all, I have to say this because a lot of people that hear this up to now might think she was a troubled kid. She may have been drinking. She may have been doing drugs. She may have been promiscuous. She may have been like a horrible child. And I was probably challenging because I was headstrong, but I was a classically trained violinist studying with a professor at Drake University. At the same time? As a 16-year-old. I was in the first violin. I was a dork. Maybe still am. So the juxtaposition of those things were so awkward. And when I went to that homeless shelter, there were kids that were drug addicts and drinking and For sure. runaways. And some of them were dirty and, you know, and they looked at me and they were like, what is she doing here? That prep? Well, can you imagine the clashing of the worlds? I basically never fit in anywhere and I still don't. And I'm fine with that now, but it was terrifying. So how did I get out? I'll tell you what, a few days after Christmas, there was talk of putting me in foster care. And I thought, foster care? What are you talking about? And I was told that I could move as far away as 200 miles from Des Moines. And all I could think of is I'm studying with Dr. Beale. This is a huge opportunity. I'm not moving to a tiny town on a farm. So I was kind of pointed to a library of books at this shelter by one of the counselors. They must have seen what was happening, but couldn't say exactly what to do. And I read this book on juvenile law and discovered that because I wasn't a runaway, I was actually deemed by the courts in Iowa as an abandoned child. And Iowa at the time didn't have an emancipation law, but I was unofficially emancipated. Wow. 
So cut to you go to college, obviously pay for that yourself. Oh, I didn't have a dime to my name. I obviously <laughs> had to figure out, can you imagine your kid just applied and got into college? Yeah. How much work were those oh. applications and the essays and the auditions? I still am happy every day that I'm done with that process. Yes. <laughs> I got no help. And counselors at my high school didn't help me because they also discarded me. I was not going to be college material because I didn't have support at home. So I figured it all out. I filled out the applications and I got full ride scholarships as a violin performance major. That's amazing. That's amazing. Wait, by the way, your friends in school, they were aware that all this was happening or no? I'm not sure how much they knew. If you can think back as a high school kid, you want to be as cool as possible, even though you're not cool at all. Right. So my neighbors saw what was happening. And my boyfriend at the time, who was a year older and the valedictorian of his class, so weird, <laughs> saw this happening. But this wasn't an age of see something, do something. Yeah. It was, that's their business. We're not getting into it. Okay. So you graduate college. Oh, I never graduated. You never graduated. I went to three different colleges on full-ride scholarships. But at the end of that third year, I was making about two to $300 an hour playing my violin with the string quartet. And I was like, what is the point of getting a degree? I'm hiring my college professors and the members of the Des Moines Symphony to play at these gigs with me. Now, when I moved to San Francisco, I thought, oh, I'll finish up my degree at the Conservatory of Music. I didn't do that because I ended up making so much money and I was such an entrepreneur in the engine. It didn't make sense then and it doesn't make sense to me for me now. I don't think I'll ever think I'll go back and get my degree. No. Yeah. And listen, it's not necessary by any means. But you are a proud graduate of the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses. So obviously, being entrepreneurial, whether in music and business, I mean, you have two totally separate companies. One is event production. One is actually publishing. So (laughs) you're kind of all over the map. Yeah. Multi-hyphenate is clearly the right word here. So how did all that start? And why so many different interests? Oh, well. First of all, anything that I am talented at, get really good at, and love, if you think mentally about what I had to endure and how I had to survive, I monetize that. So anything that I'm good at and that I love turns into a business. Now, I've had entire productions for 22 years, so I have tunnel vision there on my core business. And that came out of performing so often and being booked so often. And I would never turn down a gig. So if you said to me on a day that I was already booked as a jazz ensemble or a a quartet, I would say, Lisa, I'm not available for your event, but I'll bring in a group that's as good as I am, maybe even better, and I'll manage them. And that's how Entire Productions was born. But now we're doing events for Google and Salesforce and LinkedIn and Adobe. And they're just wild and crazy, you know, up to multi-million dollar events. I love it both producing them and bringing in entertainment. And then the reason why I have a publishing company is five years ago, I started to write this book. And actually, again, so ironically, everyone in my family is in the media and they're published authors. 
well, in the media or published authors. So my grandmother, my dad's mother, was a published author. And would you like to know what kind of book she wrote? I mean, hold on to yourself. She wrote family communication books. Oh, my God. The irony. Yes. And my dad's a poet and a beautiful writer and also wrote 32 books for Better Homes and Gardens, How to Create a Rose Garden, all the books that you would have gotten years ago at Home Depot in the point of sale. And if I may ask, is your mother alive? She is. I don't have contact with her right now because it's just not healthy for me. I would imagine. I have a lot of empathy for her and I understand more because I wrote this book and because I did the research and because after I published it, people came to me and started admitting to me the things that were never told. And so there were times in the last year, because I just published that in March of last year, that I thought, oh, I understand better. But then I thought the reaction from my reaching out to her would be bad for my mental health. Yeah. Because she's not, she's not well. And so I'm not putting myself in that position. Smart. Natasha, you have a superpower, clearly. (laughs) I mean, to me, your superpower is just being able to thrive after all of that. But what would you say is your special gift of being able to live through it and then actually blossom despite it? Yeah, that superpower is a basket full of many things. And I think one is, my daughter jokes about this with me. Despite how I was treated by the world for the most important part of my life, I see the very best in people and situations. I'm a little bit on the naive, gullible side, and that's better than the opposite of what a lot of people end up, right? Like cynics. Cynical, yeah. Mm -hmm. And this was reflected back to me by someone that read the book. I said, what is this book about to you? And they said, Natasha, you amplified every opportunity and challenge and turned it into gold. And so I think that is my superpower. I know that when my multi-million dollar business went to zero in March of 2020 due to the pandemic, sure, the immediate first thought is I'm going to be homeless. Can I sleep in the doorway of Prada that's one block away? I lived in Union Square in San Francisco and I thought, yes, I can. Okay. Got over that. And then I realized that I actually have all these skills and abilities and I realized I thrive. I'm my best self in a challenge. Now I don't want to live my life in a challenge state. Yeah. I was going to say, maybe not this challenging, maybe just like take it down a couple of notches. Yep. So I think my superpowers are those just positivity in general and not sappy woo woo positivity. I've got a real realist streak in me. And then I think that somebody said amplifying every opportunity or challenge, that's got to be a superpower. Your ability to deal with stress, though, is (laughs) like a Harvard level, I would imagine. (laughs) Listen, I suffered, and I'm going to say past tense because I never want to feel it again, very acute panic attacks that are debilitating and so physically painful, actually. I won't go into it, but let's just say they're real. And the -the over-the-counter drugs that are prescribed, if you don't take them in time, you got three hours. And then the next day, the cortisol levels have spiked and you're just toast. So I'm trying to 
avoid those at all costs. Yes. Keep a zen, even keel. Yeah. Okay. You have a podcast called Fascinated Entrepreneurs. I do. And you are a fascinating entrepreneur. So that's <laughs> perfect. What is a common trait or characteristic that you've noticed across your guests? They have this zest for life, their businesses, but also for themselves. There's a confidence within them. That doesn't mean that they don't have limiting beliefs and imposter syndrome at some time. I think even the most confident people do, unless they're sociopathic and narcissistic. Okay. So they have lots of ideas. They're idea generators. And I almost never talk to entrepreneurs that have just done one thing their entire life. Now, they don't need to be a serial entrepreneur and just be bouncing from thing to thing. But they typically have had like 10-year chunks of different, and they could be related. But that interest in the world and life and taking chances makes me believe that they're more fascinating. Yeah. So you get, and I get this all the time when I'm doing this show and meeting people like you, get this like high from just really active listening to somebody else's story. It's such a great process podcasting, right? Yes. If you think about what you get from the other person and you're really there for them versus yourself. And I really try to take a more journalistic approach and don't share a whole lot of my own experience in relation to what they say. Same. You have to, if you're not learning at least one thing, if not more, with every single person that you interview, but also interact with in life, then you're cheating yourself. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about Poignant Press and the types of books that you publish. Oh, I love this. So I started this company a couple of years ago after my journey of writing my book, Relentless Homeless Teen to Achieving the Entrepreneur Dream. Which I love how it rhymes. It's so convenient. I know. Um, I learned so much and I realized that entrepreneurs, the people in my world had to go so many places to gain information about how to be published. I had two agents and I had book offers and I turned them down. Why? It wasn't going to benefit me long-term. Now my ego got in the way personally, right? I was like, I want to be published by one of the four major publishers. Then I thought for me, that doesn't make sense. My book is being made into a movie now. It is? It is. And if I had signed away my intellectual property, then a lot of what I like to create and what can come of creation would have to be rev shared by an entity that may not actually have done that much for me. Sure. And I love branding. I'm not an expert like you, but I love learning from experts like you and marketing. And I'm good at it for me. Now, could I help somebody else? Probably by a little coaching, but then that's it. You know, I'm not going to be opening a branding or marketing company, right? Neither am I. <laughs> I love being able to attach. My ego is now attached to the wins that I created for myself. So I created Poignant Press mostly to help entrepreneurs, thought leaders, titans of industry get the story of their life out. I think it's so important and actually much more interesting than their subject knowledge, which is also important. But I wanted to be the catalyst to get our stories out. The caveat is that you have to be 
willing to be vulnerable. I wrote about two things in my book specifically that I never even admitted to my own therapist or best friend at the time. Wow. And people are really reacting to those things and the rest of the story. So, I mean, if you're going to write a memoir, you have to be at a point in your life where you can reflect back on the highest and lowest inflection points and not be in it, but also be willing to say uncomfortable things. Otherwise, please don't bother. Yeah. But then also, of course, these people have incredible knowledge on the subjects that they're experts at. So we're publishing nonfiction books, both knowledge, subject matter, and story of your life memoir. So can you share a little bit about the movie side of this? Yeah, of course. So I had worked with Jack Canfield, who is one of the people that was the head of Chicken Soup for the Soul. Mm -hmm. And he interviewed me after reading the book. And his reaction was so, you know, I had pride and ego and confidence in this book, but not what he said. He said, Natasha, how many books would you like to sell? And I said, well, I know this is a lot for someone like me, but 25,000 would make my heart sing. And he said, Natasha, I wouldn't be surprised if the next time we spoke, you sold a million books and that this story has turned into a movie. Oh, I'm chilled. It was foreshadowing. Also, when telling my story, a lot of people will say, because it's so dynamic and crazy, it's crazy, right? Oh my God, that would be a great movie. So instead of dampening those voices, I started allowing myself to be open to the possibility. So right now, to be honest, it's in script writing. It needs to be shopped to networks, but there are producers that are doing that. And who knows? Who would you want to play you in a movie? Oh, that's yeah. always the best question. Somebody asked that to me and I told this producer my list and they were like, oh, those aren't A-list actresses. I'm like, but you just asked who I would want to play. So I'm not going to remember all their names, but I can tell you what they played. So Michelle Dockery would be cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Lizzie Kaplan would be oh, cool. I've worked with Lizzie. Rachel Brosnahan. Uh-huh. And then there was one more that like super feisty. Well, these are smart. A-list actors, by the In way. In my opinion, yes. No, those are really good choices. Exactly. So since I'm a jazz vocalist, I have seven CDs out. I'm a violinist. Music is going to be such a big part of the story, right? It saved my life. It created my life and saved my life. So either somebody that can fake it really well or actually do it. <laughs> oh, this is so exciting. I imagine you do a lot of public speaking about all of this. When you are in front of younger people who haven't come out the other side yet, what the advice you give to people who sort of can't see past the trauma that they're in right now or the situation that they're in right now that just seems like it's never ending? This is what I say, and it sounds a little abrupt, but I say, no one is coming to save you. No one but you very likely have it within you to save yourself. Oh my God, that's so powerful. I was waiting for someone to notice me, to love me, to save me, to rescue me well into my adult life. Didn't serve me well. And then when I started really doing all that for myself, I'm like, oh my God, that's so powerful. If somebody would have told me, Oprah wasn't there. We didn't have Oprah in the mid-70s, mid-80s. 
God, that would have helped a lot. (laughs) But that's what I say. And I think that's just a wake up call. And if they do come to my book and they read it, it's not prescriptive. It's not a how to. It's not step by step. But if you do not absorb that idea, then you're skimming and you're not really absorbing. Wow. Just unbelievable. So when you think about your life today, you're a mom, mm-hmm. that experience of being a mom and having a daughter, how do you think about that given your entire life? It's the most proud moment of my entire life, which so many moms say, and they deserve that, right? But my daughter was treated beautifully. Of course. She wrote me a note on Mother's Day that really sums up the experience she had. And she was like, thank you for letting me be my wacky, weird, creative self. Thank you for supporting me. Thank, And she'll say to me to this day, like she loves who she is. She loves being in her body. So she doesn't have body image issues. She doesn't have confidence issues. She's not looking for love in all the wrong places. And I did that. Also, her soul did that. But I molded and sculpted her. Now, I may have overreacted to <laughs> my situation. I may have overloved her a little. Oh, can you overlove? I don't know. Yes, I'll tell you how. I saw this maybe seven years ago. I caught myself. And today, I really have to catch myself. And this may resonate with you. Your children are younger. Mine is 27. Because I was never cared for and never saved, I never want her to feel discomfort. So I have jumped in and saved her too many times. Mm. I didn't have it within myself to allow her to feel that discomfort and feel that situation and then figure her way out. And she pushed against me. She needed that without being able to say it. And I realized that about seven years ago, which is a little too late. If you do the math, she was 20, but I'm proud of what I've created. You know what? If that's your big mistake, (laughs) you're doing really well. Okay. Totally fine. What excites you about your future? Mm, This is what excites me. So I did the Goldman Sachs 10K SB program at Babson in 2015. And my business grew 65% year over year after that learning. And so I got a thirst for learning. I couldn't learn because I was fighting for my life earlier, right? I could be a good violinist, but that was also a catalyst for feeling. But I wasn't very educated in the things that I was interested in. And now I know every time I take a big leap in education, like, I'm studying now my last year at MIT at this entrepreneurial master's program. And what I'm learning is the more I learn, the more I realize there's so much more to learn. So let's say I get to live to 88 or 92. I'm 52 now. I can see all like the potential of learning and excitement. And that is what gets me excited. So I'm going to learn and be a great publisher. And then I will probably you know, become an absentee owner because the publishing business will be so big and it wouldn't be able to grow unless I let go of the reins and let other people do it, right? 
But then what's after that? I don't want to know now. I just know there's going to be something amazing. Ah, I love that. You're like manifesting and putting it out there, Mm. which brings me to always my last question. Yes. How do you ultimately want to leave your mark? You obviously are great at so many different things. You have your hands in multiple things, but what's the headline for Natasha Miller? I feel like I've made my mark and I will just continue to do that. I have changed the course of history for my family and the DNA already. You sure have. And I want to continue to leave my legacy by helping people get the story of their life out there in the world. A little bit of me is going to live in that. Yeah. And so it's not that I'm done, but I continue. Beautifully said. Natasha, your story is so inspiring and there's so much people can learn from Relentless and from your entire experience and also just gratitude in general for, you know, having the empathy to understand like how hard it was for you, but also to then reflect back and say like, wow, I'm lucky that that's not my story, but you've been able to mold it and shape it into something beautiful that was not. So kudos to you. Thank you. I really appreciate your appreciation and really digging in. You're a beautiful person and I can't wait to have you on my show. Oh, thank you. And thank you for coming on Leave Your Mark. This was fabulous. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Leave Your Mark. If you want more career advice or tips on personal branding, make sure to pick up a copy of my new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception. Want to land your dream job or kill it in your career? Don't forget about my first book, Leave Your Mark. If you want me to speak at your company or at an offsite, or if you need consulting services, please go to alizalick.com. I would love to connect with you there and on social media. And just remember this, if change doesn't hurt a little, it's not change. Keep on rocking.